0: I'm like fully prepared. This is going to... You're going to learn a lot about me.
1: That's good. That's (laughs) what I want (laughs) to do. And also, I've been trying to, for most people, introduce with like a title of who you are or what you've done. Mm -hmm. Do you want me to say your educational background?
0: Well, my degree isn't even, my degree is in civil engineering, which is not not related. It's not related in any way, which I'll talk about in like my.
1: uh, Yeah. I mean, for Josie's, I was like, she's a history major, and we didn't talk about history once in the whole episode, so it doesn't have to relate. Just Mm -hmm. maybe if you don't care, then I won't say.
0: Oh, yeah. You could say I have my bachelor's in civil engineering, but I'm a crisis worker. (laughs) (laughs) It like makes no sense. But the way I'll talk about everything, it'll kind of make sense to the point where uh where i came to be where i am but it's totally up to you what you decide to put in the description because i mean all of these things are what i am yeah uh whichever way you want to display it i don't really care because like i'm a bunch of things not just one thing so (laughs) yeah but also i've been drinking coffee like all day so i'm like super
1: do you normally drink coffee
0: i drink a lot of coffee Oh, okay i drink you're
1: drinking more than you normally drink That you're saying?
0: Uh, no. Well, I'm drinking a little (laughs) bit later than I usually drink. Okay. I used to be a person that drank coffee (laughs) like until like 7 p.m., but now I've (laughs) held it back to about like 10 a.m. But you know, there are days when I like drink it like 3 p.m. if I feel like it. I just like the bitterness. Yeah, like I hate grossness the of coffee what? just love it it's like drinking dirt
1: you like the grossness of coffee i yeah. hate yeah it tastes like dirt that's a
0: i like that about it
1: perfect explanation and that's why <laughs> i don't drink coffee one reason anyway yeah i also don't drink coffee because like i, I don't need to spend extra money on stuff and i know that it's oh, addictive yeah. so i might as well avoid that
0: oh yeah that's true i mean i would love to get rid of coffee one day
1: you could replace it with um like caffeine patches. Is that a thing?
0: No. No?
1: Okay. <laughs> just um, nicotine Lisa. patches?
0: Uh, just nicotine patches. Why which... not
1: caffeine patches? That seems... Why
2: is that not a
0: thing? Well, well, I would say you could like do a kind of caffeine that's like less bad for you, like black tea. Yeah.
1: I like black tea. That's my favorite kind of tea.
0: Oh, want me to make you a cup?
1: Not really. Okay. It's my favorite kind of tea. But, <laughs> but
0: I don't really like it that much.
1: But I really only drink it when I'm sick. Oh, okay. Because I've never really noticed any effects from drinking coffee hyperness or anything like that but from drinking um black tea i always notice like a uh, i'm hyper aware of my heartbeats and mm. it doesn't slow down and it makes me have difficulty falling asleep so i only drink it when i need to like relieve my throat of soreness mm. so are we ready yes all right welcome to the regular people podcast i am wade allen And joining me today is Brooklyn.
0: Hey, guys.
1: (laughs) Yeah. She got a bachelor's degree in civil engineering and is now a crisis worker. So we're going to be talking about a variety of things. Probably death acceptance the most, though. Is that what we planned?
0: Yeah. Yeah. That and maybe some branches of psychology and psychoanalysis with Carl Jung or uh, Freud.
1: I always love Carl Jung. Freud less.
0: Well, Carl Jung is from Freud, so
1: yeah, but they disagreed.
0: yeah, they disagreed, but you know there there is like foundations right. and like fundamentals and you can't like, like branches on the same and you can't forget tree. the history of things too and like how yeah. branches came to be but yeah
1: well before we talk about anything, as per usual now, I would like to give the listener some idea of who you are and of course, the listener will gather an idea of who you are as they listen to the next two hours, but just like preliminary background. So what have you been doing in your mind, in life, mm-hmm. whatever, th- throughout the past 5-10 years?
0: Okay, so the past 5 years don't really make sense unless <sighs> if you, you you really look at it from like the past 10 years. So okay. um, right now I'm 26. So if I were to flash back to when I was 16, I I was going through a lot and so i tried to find comfort in through outside of the home cuz i couldn't find that support through inside the home and immediately i gravitated towards the wrong people and the wrong people led me into the wrong things and the and the wrong things were drugs and then the drugs got worse and so it was something where I was leaving the home a lot and I was like living in this weird little drug house with my of the time boyfriend and we were this is going to get heavy real quick it's okay. <laughs> um but my boyfriend of the time he ended up dying from a heroin overdose and so at 17 quickly <laughs> everything hit me all at once and i was going through a lot and i was like thinking about a lot and like nothing made sense and so with drugs as they do they're a form of escapism and i continued using taking and then it got to the point where like i had another friend die this time it was like one of like my female friends and i i reached a point where I was like, okay. (laughs) I I don't think this is how life should be. And so then I went back home to my mother and I like pleaded for her to accept me and that I would do anything for her. This and around this time I was like nineteen.
1: Did your parents like kick you out? Were they
0: Well, so my mom took me and my sister and we ran away from my father when i was about 12 years old because my father was very abusive towards like my mother and me and my sister and my mom was like under the mindset that like if i don't take myself and my two daughters out of this house we're going to die like it w- it was really bad my father was an alcoholic he was super abusive um, he wasn't getting better and my mom just needed to take us. And so she took me and my sister and then we left the state. I'm originally from Arizona. And we stayed with my mom's friend and we lived there until my mom could like buy a house. And then we lived in the house with her and my mom worked really hard. My mom suffered like an array of like mental disorders, which she refused having she's like one of those people Mm. that doesn't think mental disorders exist and that you know pure will will like get you through everything and that like you know there's weak people and there's strong people and you know to a sense like now that i'm older i can see some truths in that but i think the denial of any kind of mental disorder is only going to cause confusion in your child and not help them want to get better or seek help but anyways, so um, around like eighteen, nineteen, I was like, okay, mom, like, I will do whatever you want. You know, like, I surrendered to her. I was like, you're right. Like, I want to please you in whichever way. And so then she was like, okay, then I want to see you get a degree, which is amazing that my mom wished that for me because not a lot of people wanted a degree. It was something I had to pay for by myself. She wasn't willing. She didn't want to invest anything in me because she, she's very Jewish in the sense that like, you need to prove yourself to me. Like you need to work hard. Like you should be making a certain amount of money. And if not, you're a failure. Like Life at the end of the day is about making like a certain amount of money and like if you're not meeting that criteria, you're a failure. So I was like, okay, growing up, being good at math was something my mom took a lot of pride in and she like put that pride into me. And so I knew I was good with numbers and I knew that like anything with engineering pays well and it's like a guaranteed job. And so then I went to UWM around the time I was 20, and I got my bachelor's in civil engineering, and it was around the time that I graduated that I was like, actually, I, I kind of hate this, and it just feels, like, monotonous and boring, and it's just not – it It made me, like, wake up dreading life. Like, I I – it it meant nothing to me. But then, like, about a year and a half ago, I was going to go get my master's, and I was, like, a month into my master's program. For what? Uh, still civil engineering, oh, but okay. specifically, I wanted to do, like, environmental engineering so I could, like, focus on, like, fluid dynamics and, like, the flow of uh, water waste into rivers. But anyways, um, I... It it, was, it only took me about a month to realize that, like, I need to stop doing the things I don't want to do and really think about the things that I do want to do. And it took a lot of, like, self-reflection and time to myself and, like, deep thinking and, like, really thinking, like, what is, like, my purpose in life? Like, what matters to me? Like, what do I want to do? And, like, ultimately, I came to the conclusion that my one hang-up in life is also the thing that is going to, like, resolve and fix my life. So, like, this whole inner turmoil that I feel towards myself and towards people and towards my mother and towards everything is also, like, the same thing that I want to, like, heal and fix. And I want to not only heal and fix it in myself, but I want to heal and fix it and everyone around me. So um, through crisis work, it's been super rewarding in the sense of like the people that I work with, it's like boys ages from like 14 to 23 and uh, they all grow up with like prolonged trauma. And because of that, like the the result is either they use drugs or they're in a gang or they're violent or they're depressed, and basically any kind of thing that doesn't make you look like a quote-unquote normal person, it is a result of some kind of trauma that you like face through childhood, in my opinion, or an event that happened. And so then, um, through that, and through doing crisis work, which is something I had always had an interest in, even like when I was a teenager, it was something where I was like. Huh? that would be really interesting. Um, but now as an adult realizing that like, oh, I can actually be whatever I want to be as long as I put my time and effort into it, I can do it. And so then the goal is for like next fall to go for my master's and eventually get my certificate in trauma and then open my own practice. So that that's the end goal. That's how I came from there to hear it's it's been a whole journey of like life and death and and drugs and abundance and loss and everything but i wouldn't trade any of it because i think where i am now is like a hundred percent where i'm supposed to be and i think i'm only headed in a good direction oh yeah (laughs)
1: I mean, it seems like it. you're heading in a good direction. Oh,
0: yeah. Yeah, I mean, who knows? Maybe tomorrow, like, <laughs> just fall off the rails. But I-, I think, honestly, like, you need to break yourself completely open. Like, fall into, like, the fucking pits of despair and sadness and hopelessness to actually realize that, like, there is so much more to life. Yeah. And that life ultimately is everything.
1: Yeah. That reminds me of, like, very Jungian, I think. Oh, yeah. the archetype of, like, the hero's journey. The hero always has to uh, fail at first and, you know, be met with that despair Uh in order to find his true purpose Mm -hmm. kind of thing.
0: Yeah, I would agree.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you don't really... I don't know. You can have this, like, false purpose or, like, a shallow sense of purpose or meaning in life. But, yeah, I think it takes...
0: Which is, you know, I think everyone kind of hits that spot in their life that shallow sense of purpose like I feel like when I was getting my uh bachelor's that that was kind of it it was like that shallow sense of purpose of like okay like I'm doing something good for myself yeah. and like if I were to just go along with that for the rest of my life I would be completely fine but there would be like that element of myself that doesn't feel whole
1: yeah and like so not actualized
0: yeah and so I I I'm a kind of person where it's like, if there is a way to achieve something and I can feel even better about myself and it still be equally as good, if not better, then I should do it.
1: Yeah. One thing you said about the heroin, which I don't know, kind of a depressing thought, but also kind of twist, like ironic or funny in a twisted mm-hmm. way. It seems like heroin you use as an escape. Yeah. And for so many people, it's too effective at being an escape. Like it's literally oh, yeah. an escape from life.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. It. Yeah. I mean, it's a slippery slope because a lot of people and like, uh, oh, my God. I have so many friends who <laughs> are like ex-users and everyone believes it's not going to be them. Yeah. Like they, they're and they think they can get away with it. And a lot of us, we hide it from people that were even using it like my last uh my last relapse was about like five years ago, and that that was like the the last time i I stopped using, so I've been clean for like five years but that's good but I was on and off for about like three or four years it It's a hard thing to completely get rid of just because it it has like a very sneaky way of like coming back and, like, convincing your brain that, like, oh, like, you're doing fine. Like, no yeah. one's going to know. You can get away with this. You can be a normal person. But the the fact is, like, you cannot be a normal person and just take it. Like, it, it takes a hold of you and it, it calls out to, like, really – Ah, uh, desperate people that like really want to just like feel that like warm like body sensation everywhere where everything like it, it's like the truest pleasure. Like it feels like suddenly every little droplet of blood in your body just feels accepted and amazing, and and to feel that and then to feel like the harshness of reality. You're like, well, fuck, I don't want to feel this. Yeah, but um, I. I think through the actualization that life and like the appreciation and gratitude for life can feel just as amazing, obviously not physically as amazing as heroin because you know, yeah, yeah. like literally
1: I mean, chemicals in your brain are being manipulated. Yeah. Yeah. It, really it, it, exactly it's a thing.
0: mirage. It's a mirage. Don't, don't fall for it. But, Like what you can actually feel through gratitude, through meditation, through mindfulness, through community and friends and like having healthy friendships and people in your life like that feels just as amazing in my opinion.
1: That's really probably, at least as far as I know, the only antidote to addiction. Oh, yeah, for sure. Is having that like vibrant and healthy like social life and group of friends and people that you love. Oh, yeah. Yeah
0: like uh for me the biggest thing uh coming out in like getting off of it uh, getting off of heroin like i catapulted myself into school and a very serious relationship with a man who like is still like one of my closest friends like i love and care for him so dearly and um if it wasn't like for his support and then like keeping myself distracted with school like, I, I don't know how I would have gotten out of it, but like I had such a good uh, social circle of friends that really cared about me that I felt like were genuinely wanting to be my friend because they cared about me and not like the fact that they were using with me, which was really important. Yeah. I'd say one of the best things to do if you're coming out of like using any kind of drug is completely isolating yourself from that group. Because obviously, like, your peers have a big influence on you. And if all of them are using, you're just going to want to use too. Yeah. So, like, when I left the house that I was living in where we were all using and I, like, went into a house, you know, like, at my mom's where, you know, it wasn't. And then eventually I moved in with my boyfriend and, like, he he never even touched any kind of drug. He was so sober. But, um, like, just... Doing, like, the complete opposite and just, like, building myself a routine. Like, I was a person who used to, like, stay up until, like, 4 a.m. And then I turned into a person who woke up at 4 a.m. Like, I tried to, like, make it very evident that, like, I needed to drastically change my situation. And so, for me, it was, like, physically, like, with the people around me and, like, physically with my body. So, like... I wanted to do this thing where, like, I rise with the sun. I would go to bed very early and then I would wake up, like, 4 or 5 a.m. and I would go on walks. And on these walks, I would purposely, like, force myself to recognize things like trees and grass and, like, experience a profound gratitude for those things and then try to also, like, evaluate how i am similar to those things and through seeing the similarities of like me and just the earth in general i was able to grow a love for myself because obviously like when you go out in the woods and everything it, it's just like meant to be there you know it a tree doesn't question if it's a tree It doesn't question if it should be there. And so, like, I started applying that to myself and being like, well, I'm not different from it, essentially. Like, I am, but I'm not at the same time. Right. Like, we both are alive and this life is something that is so profound and beautiful. Like, why would I want to harm it? So then it turned into a form of, like, radical, like, self-love. And through this self-love, I realized that, like, I need to, like, radically, like, love the people around me because if I'm going around hurting people, I'm only hurting myself because then no one wants to be around me. And so it's just, like, this, like, full cycle thing of, like, okay, I, I just need to, like, love and support the people around me. And through that... I became a better person. And now, like, being a crisis worker, I see, like, I just feel so full of life. Like, I feel so where I'm meant to be. And, yeah.
1: Yeah. You've got the joie de vivre. Yes. Yeah. Have you ever heard of the um, Rat Park experiment? No. Okay. It's used a lot in, like, studies and videos and whatnot, in, like, journals and articles about addiction. Mm. And... Basically, what they did was earlier, before Rat Park, there was a lot of experiments with rats where they would be in cages and you would have their normal water and their water that is laced with cocaine. Mm-hmm. And you would observe as a scientist, like, oh, the rats always choose the one with cocaine in it. Mm-hmm. And like to the extent where they will die, like it'll, they'll kill themselves getting more cocaine because they're so addicted. Mm-hmm. And then a new group of researchers came around and was like, all of these experiments on addiction have only been doing it in like a certain way that is kind of limiting itself to not get a full view of like how you fight addiction and what it actually is based off of because they realized that these rats were in cages they were solitary so then they decided to have a control group of the rats that are in solitary cages with the cocaine water or the regular water Mm -hmm. and then they also had a group that was a big cage It had lots of rats in it of, you know, male and female and then had like, you know, one of those hamster cage kind of parks with the tunnels you can go through and and stuff like that. So they provided them with a social setting Mm. and then they gave them the cocaine water Mm -hmm. and the regular water. And a few of the rats tried the cocaine water at first, but then overwhelmingly they all just rejected the cocaine water because Mm. they were already satisfied with life.
0: Oh, that's so...
1: So now that's used to like show that really the most effective way to reverse addiction is like you said to have a peer group that is not doing drugs yeah and is also like satisfying supportive you and, and happy. supportive yeah yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah and having lots of sex that's what the rats did anyway
0: yeah well but, you know it's <laughs> them yeah. <some> youthful and <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah
1: i was like that one i mean it's not to say you really have any control over your peer group a lot of the time right you, you can't just put yourself in a new peer group and that'll work like it's hard to actually work your well, way into one.
0: Yeah, it's a lot of trial and error because you can wish to be part of a peer group, but that doesn't necessarily mean they'll accept you. Yeah, And so like it, even through the trial and error, you can like the feeling of being rejected by a group could hurt you so much that it sends you back to previous actions and decisions. So it's just like, yeah, sometimes you can't really control it, but. I think what it really boils down to is like accountability and determination. So like being able to hold yourself accountable for not giving up or like persisting even if it fucking sucks. <laughs> and I I feel like you can be stuck in a rut for a while, but I think like if you consistently keep trying that with time there will be like one person or one thing
1: that can help pull you out of it. Okay, so you're saying the determination and all that. Hmm. Are you saying that like willpower, or, like self-determination is more important than somebody else, like outside help?
0: Well, I think it's a mixture of the two. So yeah. the thing is, I think at the end of the day, uh, you're never going to get help unless if there's this part of you that recognizes there's a problem yeah. and needs help but i think more so it's going to be the group around you that actually helps you so like there has to be this part of you that's like willing to receive help yeah but i think at the end of the day like without the
1: group there to help you you can't do it by yourself Yeah, that's a good point it's like that saying that uh, god helps those who help themselves yeah in this case you know it's not god
0: yeah it's not
1: God. yeah but still i guess the lesson still applies You, you have to Acknowledge that there is a problem mm-hmm. and then want, right. wants to fix it and then accept the, the help of other people.
0: Right. Because like you're not even going to see what this group is doing for you if you don't even know there's a problem in the first place. And like people aren't going to really want to help you if you're rejecting their help too. Yeah. And like maybe for like a little bit, they'll stick around and be like, hey, like what can I do for you? Like I want to help you. But if you're like consistently being like, no, I'm fine. There's no problem like they're going to get tired of it and they're going to leave
1: yeah and that's not even just for people trying to help you out it's also just for like a social life in general yeah something i uh probably do too much is say no to people like when they (laughs) want to invite me to do things i my default answer is usually no as sad as that is so i feel like (laughs)
0: you just start saying yes you know like yeah
1: that's why i love the movie yes man with jim carrey
0: yeah it is a good movie you well hot sauce after this
1: oh yeah okay i'll have some hot sauce um but yeah if you if you say no to people too many times when they're like just asking you to hang out with them then they'll stop asking so oh yeah for sure because you know they already expect you to say no this time
0: yeah that's uh what i've been doing recently is so i'm trying to like cultivate like a little art group of friends so like about a month ago about a month ago i threw a party And, like, but it was a party with a theme or with a purpose, I'd like to say, where, like, everyone had to be into some form of art. And then at the party, everyone got to perform or show off their, like, piece of art. And for me, it's poetry. And so through, like, uh, the people that I invited to this group, I I was kind of, like, playing around and toying with the idea of, like, okay, are these people – people that i would like to continue inviting and like hanging out with so like some of them like after the party like i continually invited them to do things and some of them super receptive say yes to everything want to do it and like i feel like an immediate strong connection and it's great and that's like how you cultivate and make friendships. And then some of them, like you you can see that they want to, but they just continually reject. And I understand life is busy. You're not going to have time to hang out. That's totally okay. I understand that. But like if I invite and invite and invite and invite and you always say no, there's that part of me that's like, okay, well, you know if yeah. you're not gonna make time for me, I don't really want to make time for you. Yeah. So,
1: yeah, something I struggle with it with that is I feel like this uh, need to always be productive with my time and
0: but friendship is productive. It is productive. But for some reason, I
1: always feel like it's not like I should reframe it in my mind as Mm -hmm. like an important part of life that needs you need to spend. I need to spend more time doing. Um, but for some reason, I always have this like feeling in the back of my head like, oh, if I am if I say yes to this right now, then I'm like not going okay, ful- to fulfill my idea of what oh, I wanted to mm. do.
0: Well, that's so interesting to me because like you play video games.
1: I also do that. And I feel like I have an allotment of like maybe escapism or alone time that I want to have in a day. Mm. So then ha- having to spend time with other people um, means I don't have as much alone time as I wanted to have. Mm. So I guess that's the reason.
0: Yeah, but I think like after an amount of time, like if you can get close with some friends that being with those friends, it still feels like alone time because they feel like more an extension of yourself than they do like a stranger who doesn't really know you. Yeah.
1: And like if you become close friends with somebody, you get to the point where you're comfortable like just not saying anything. Like you can just like I feel like if you're hanging out with a friend for the first time, you kind of feel this awkward silence. that oh, happens. Yeah. and you need to so fill weird. it. So weird, yeah. But if you know someone, well, you're
0: performing. Yeah, it, it's like a performance piece, and you're you're like doing your little dance, and it, it's exhausting. You're like, I don't want to fucking perform. I want to just like be. Uh, yeah, I just want to automatically feel like myself in front of you. Yeah. But I think you can get to that point faster with people if you just Have like you hang, hang out, with, out with people more often, <laughs> That's because true. then you realize that like you don't need to put on a performance for anyone because like who uh, that's something you're placing on yourself. Yeah. Like no one is asking you to perform except yourself.
1: That's true. (laughs) Good wisdom. I should absorb. (laughs) You said something earlier about trauma Mm -hmm. that I found interesting and maybe disagree with to a certain extent. Okay. Of uh, all people that end up being not fitting into the, idea of normal. Mm-hmm. It's because of trauma in their life or like most of them.
0: Oh yeah, like um if someone is depressed or anxious yeah. or something like that, I think that's because of some kind of foundation of trauma or it, it roots from trauma in some kind of way. And part of me hates the word trauma because I feel like it's being overused and like si- super like simplified nowadays. It's just like, you know, like you See something you don't like, and it's trauma. But like, really, but I also don't think it necessarily needs to mean like to the extreme case of trauma, like rape or someone dying. Like, I think it can be somewhere uh, more in the middle. So I, I don't like when trauma is only seen as like
1: the very worst thing.
0: The very worst thing, because it can be something not as bad. But I do like, obviously, like something like. If you just felt a little uncomfortable, that isn't trauma. Yeah. That's just, there's a difference.
1: You were just uncomfortable. Um this might be putting you on the spot, but could you think of an example that would be like the least drastic thing the that least. would still be considered trauma? Like obviously, yeah, me saying something that makes you uncomfortable isn't trauma, but like
0: yeah. So like let's say if you're like a small child and like you're continuously like something happens and every time you feel really frustrated and upset and you're crying and you're you're going to your mother for support and instead she just like denies you know like she's like leave me alone and so then that over the course of like years of just like continually like trying to go to her for support and she's like leave me alone don't talk like i'm doing something like just like being ignored completely ignored that you know that's fairly traumatic especially as a young child because This one person, your caregiver, who is supposed to be, like, the source of support, is denying you support, that's fairly traumatic.
1: That's something that's very Freudian, that one of the things I don't think I like about Freud. Oh, really? (laughs) That concept of it. (laughs) Well,
0: like, uh, just because, like, uh, caregivers are supposed to be there for mental well-being, and if they're not really there for mental well-being then it's easy to try to find it through peer groups and yeah 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 but the thing is um if you had a secure uh attachment style with your parent then you wouldn't necessarily be trying to seek it out from other sources or like because you would already kind of have that uh, the like foundation blocks like built within you because you have a secure attachment style
1: so you're saying if you have a secure attachment with your caregiver, you don't need a peer group?
0: No, you, you, no. A peer group so is you don't always feel that you need one. No, it, I mean a peer group is always essential just for like social aspects and things yeah. like that. But you're not like leaning like when you're younger, you're not leaning on them so much for support. Like when you're a young child, like you should the people you should be leaning on for support should be primarily your caretakers but then like later on at the other stages of life like it does like transition over to other groups like uh eric erickson he he's a neo freudian and he uh he has like the eight stages and so it's like it's based off of freud but like it goes further than that and so like he believes that like the first like five years um and like your bond between you and your parents are are pretty important. But then around like six or six to like 12, it's like totally dependent on your peers. Do
1: you know what the eight stages are?
0: The first stage, it's year, uh, years one to three. um, It's development with your mother. The second stage, ages three to four. It's with both parents at uh, stage three. It's around age five. Um, It's with the whole family, so your siblings are now involved. And then stage four, ages 5 to 12, um, it's your teachers and peers. And then five is ages 13 to 19, and that's like your role models, the people you look up to. And then 20 to 40, that's your partners and romantic interests, and then friends. And then 40 to 65 is... um, like your career and your like coworkers and that kind of thing, and then sixty-five to death is just the ego. Where did you go in life, kind of thing, which which is way more developed and better than Freud. It shows like more of a wide range of things. But yeah, yeah. What
1: <laughs> is it? Is it just he's saying that those like each stage, that's the most important aspect to you, or yeah
0: well he's saying the
1: because is, is he's not okay so is he saying that like even at the age of or at the age of three mm-hmm. you only care about the relationship with your mother and not relationship with your peers or is it just that your relationship with your mother is the most important of your relationships
0: it, it's like the most important but your and, other relationships and it, still the matter? other one oh the other ones still matter for yeah. sure it's just uh that's like where a lot of the emphasis and focus like in your psyche is happening
1: right yeah so then, uh, according to his model, are you just permanently fucked if you don't have a mother?:
0: No, yeah well, that's the thing with any of these like theories of like psychoanalysis. It's not like, oh, if you failed one stage, you're trapped in that forever, yeah. and you can never get better. It's more like uh, the realization of like the, this like willingness to change or willing or uh, realization that you have a problem with the way you connect to people. So, like, you know, there's – I'd say, like, a lot of people just kind of go on in life now really questioning, like, hmm, why do I treat people this way? Or, like, why do I think this way? Why am I, like, really upset about everything? And instead of, like, questioning it, they just, like, keep living their life. Yeah. And those are the people – they're stuck at that stage. But then there's the people who have this, like, awareness of themselves and their actions. Those are the people that can implement change. But it, I mean, it takes work. It Like, it takes, like, recognition that you have a problem with the way you communicate and that you need to fix it. But any of these things, like, you can fix. But you have to, like, be willing to recognize that there is a problem with the pattern that you communicate with the world around you and interact.
1: Okay, so I'm not sure if this is what it's implying. Mm -hmm. But is this denying any role of for instance, mental disorders that just are pre-existing, your brain was created a certain way with a certain mm-hmm. like, slight mistake in neural connections, so that has persisted from birth until mm-hmm. death? Or is so, it saying that- like, Okay, like what mental disorder are we talking like, like about? Like, say, psych- psychopathy. Is he saying that that, mm-hmm. is, that would be caused by some sort of lack of a stage development happening? Or is there any room for you were just a psychopath from birth? So, uh,
0: I think that's two things. I think it is partially genetic. Yeah. So, I think some people are more likely to become what they are because of their genetics. But I think it's more like some genetics are triggered that make it more likely to flare up and happen. So, I, there, there's some like mood disorders that I don't really necessarily think can be fixed, like antisocial mood disorder, aka like uh being um a sociopath, like yeah. because they 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 miss the first step, which is the the acceptance that they have it.
1: So it is a problem with afterbirth effects? Like your yeah. treatment by your mother well, or well, whatever?
0: Well for, for some, yeah. Well like I don't like some mood disorders I think can't necessarily be fixed through like trying to change it i think things like anxiety and depression bipolar borderline personality disorder uh, can uh, can all be managed and but there are some things that i don't think like that can be managed as well just because they're unwilling to say there's even a problem with themselves
1: yeah that's true but like Whether or not it's capable of being managed, Mm -hmm. I'm just wondering, like, is there room for somebody with antisocial personality disorder Mm -hmm. to be that way, not because of anything that happened after they were born, but because of just purely they came out of the womb with antisocial personality disorder? Or is that just not a thing Mm. in your view?
0: Well, it's really hard to say because, I mean, from the majority of the things I've ever read or looked into, predominantly the people with with that like they they grew up experiencing trauma like i don't think i have read a case of someone that has that and then they like they had a mother and a father who treated them very well and i've got got something to
1: say on that Um, oh
0: and you know i'm not i'm not gonna reject the i'm sure there are cases of that oh yeah i don't know yeah i i mean i really don't know but like i think uh for the most part i if that if that is the case i feel like the percentage likelihood of that being a thing is very insignificant that that's not worth really focusing on like i'm more so focused on like changing patterns of things that we can actually resolve yeah. so like
1: you know if that's good to focus on yeah. you know
0: if like a lot of people end up with mood disorders because of trauma they faced when they were a child let's focus on that versus focus on something we can't change yeah. like i i actually want to like be productive <laughs> and be like oh well you know they were born this way they're fucked up like they can never okay fix. like let's focus on teaching people how to be good parents
1: right but this is something i worry about is if you think of it from the perspective of trauma even if some of it is caused by trauma, if you think of it mm-hmm. as mostly caused by trauma, or or mm-hmm. even entirely caused by trauma, you might actually be ending up doing like a worse thing. For instance, if you take the view that, say, antisocial personality disorder is caused by trauma, mm-hmm. so now in this case, it is the fault of the parents, or at least the ch- the child's environment. Mm-hmm. So then you need to fix problems there. However, if there's a possibility that it was the person was born this way. Mm-hmm. Then instead, what you could do, if you acknowledge that that was the case, you could instead of trying to make the parents like change their behavior so they don't raise an antisocial child, mm-hmm. you could change their behaviors so that they just accept the fact that they have an antisocial child. Which reminds me, kind of mm. makes me think of oh, kind of like gay, like people being gay or people yeah. being trans, right? Because if you take the view that it's something that happened in their childhood that made them gay, yeah. you're going to have parents like trying to trying to raise their kids so they won't become gay, mm-hmm. instead of just saying I have a gay child. You know, now now I have to adapt my parenting strategy to fit my gay child's needs.
0: Right. Like, instead of like asking them to mold to a world that looks a certain way instead to just like radically accept them for who they are yeah i mean i don't necessarily disagree with that either like when i hear that my mind automatically kind of goes towards people with uh autism and asperger's like a lot of the times like people with asperger's like they're asked to just assimilate into society and so they need to learn things like masking and like how to like properly talk to people and learn social cues but if it's more so like if they could just like be accepted that you know they they don't really understand social cues and behaviors like that that like that would help them a lot too so like i i could see but also with (laughs) antisocial that's a problem because only in the sense that they are likely to cause harm. To cause harm. And yeah. that's a problem. Right. You know, like causing harm is a problem and they should be
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm not saying that like yeah. parents should just be like, Oh, my kid has this personality disorder, let's just let him mutilate squirrels and yeah. start fires. Like, yeah. you should probably still make sure that they don't do these things, but...
0: The thing is with them, though, is that uh, one of the characteristics of that is that they lack empathy.
1: Yes. And, yeah. like,
0: they they do not understand what love is. Like, yeah. you were... If you were to, like, have them explain love, like, it to them, like, it would be the equivalent of, like, an object. They do not know that it's a feeling. Feelings are a hard thing for them to, like, understand like that. Yeah. So... It's more so like, like I think it's good to accept those people. I I don't in any way I don't think it's right to tell people that like I don't accept you because that only makes people more angry and lash out even more and that's a problem. But at the same time, if someone is hurting other people, that's bad.
1: Yeah, yeah, you don't allow them to hurt other (laughs) people. However, the other problem I see with this kind of. Basically the same thing, just a different way of putting it, I guess, is that viewing it as a trauma-based mm-hmm. issue kind of just puts blame on parents that might not necessarily be deserved. Like, right. you kind of feel guilt as a parent if your child turned out a certain way because you assume from what, you know, research, mm-hmm. like like from what psychoanalysts would tell you is that it's your fault as the parent mm-hmm. or as the caregiver. It's your fault that your child turned out this way, not the fact that they just got unlucky and turned out this way.
0: Right. Well, I mean, that's where accountability comes into it. Like, uh, like I uh, I can apply this to my own life. Like, parts of me, like, wants to blame my mom for the ways, yeah. like, I ran away from home and did things like that. But at the same time, like, I do take accountability for my actions. Like, I know at the end of the day, I was the person that decided to leave. And I was the person that decided to put the needle in the vein, you know, like those were my decisions. Those were not my mother's decisions. And I believe that for like any kind of case with trauma, like there is still accountability. The person is still making those actions. At at what point do victims need to take ownership of the actions they're making? Like a hundred percent. I think victims are not always victims because when you get when you fall into this point where you like rely so heavily on victimhood you can never get better.
1: Yeah, it's like learned helplessness.
0: Yeah, right. And like man, some like cheesy like motivational speakers are like don't be a victim, like be a victor. And like honestly, I agree with that because like if you allow yourself to view yourself as like this hopeless, sad, dumb piece of shit, like you're going to feel like one. But if yeah. you actually take accountability like, okay, like yeah, I fucked up, but guess what? I'm going to like improve and be better. Like I I think that's really important. I think that should be taken account, especially like if you're diagnosed with anything. I obviously like the parents are not 100% responsible, but they were a piece to the puzzle that made you the person you are and so like maybe a fragment of that is their fault but it's not completely their fault and they also need to accept that they weren't perfect parents and that's okay like they also need to take accountability everyone needs to take you know a piece of the accountability pie because like nobody wants to own up to the times they fucked up but the the reality is is that like everyone is fucking up all the time and that that's like completely okay we're humans like we were meant to make mistakes it's more so just like being able to learn from those mistakes recognize them like put them behind you and do better yeah i agree with that yeah yeah
1: (laughs) I do have one more thing to say about the trauma thing, though, and okay. <laughs> we don't have to talk about this like, trauma. But- I hate
0: trauma. It's so funny because, like, actually, like I want my whole like masters to be in uh, CPTSD, so like complex post traumatic stress disorder, which is a uh, prolonged periods of trauma throughout like child uh, childhood, and uh, it's, like literally like my one thing that I that I fucking like love learning about is trauma.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't deny that trauma doesn't exist and can fuck people up. I just worry that it's being attributed to too many things oh
0: i agree no i agree and i think uh it's easily the word especially right now it's kind of a scapegoat they're like oh well you know like i have this kind of trauma so like i can't uh you know it's not my fault like it's someone else like it's someone else did this to me it's not my fault and like i agree like you know i'm very empathetic towards people and like the things that have happened to them in their life but also at the same time if you're not taking accountability at a certain point then nothing is ever going to get fixed and you, you'll never be able to do better if you can't take that accountability for like previous things that have happened
1: yeah okay so this this is my my issue um <laughs> so i recently read a book called the nurture assumption oh, which yeah. this is heavily from that i learned a lot reading that book mm-hmm. so i think what it boils down to this this um trauma-based look at it like childhood trauma is causing you issues in life is essentially the nurture assumption, which is basically the assumption that parents are the most important factor in how somebody turns out, like how, how your parents treat you as a child. And it's just like, you know, feels feels right, so people assume it's right. And then they look at the data they collect and they use the nurture assumption to explain their data when it's not the only like explanation of their data. And I'll give you an example. So imagine we have a child who we later diagnosed he had antisocial personality disorder for instance Mm -hmm. and then you also see that he uh was not treated very well by his parents as a child the nurturer assumption would be that he has antisocial personality disorder because his parents treated him poorly Mm -hmm. however the research that i've looked at maybe you've looked at different research and that's fine but (laughs) so far based off of what i know there is one at least one other big big possibility that the data that we have doesn't offer us which one is true so you can't just immediately assume it was trauma and the other one is this and i fully acknowledge this can get close to victim blaming but if this child was born with slightly problematic wiring in his brain that he had antisocial personality disorder being a child that has no empathy you would that would make you hard to love you would that would so basically what the nurture assumption is doing is looking at problematic experiences or like people that turn out not normal mm-hmm. and attributing everything to parent to child effects mm-hmm. when child to parent effects could be equally as likely it could be that this child is a difficult child because they're antisocial mm-hmm. and then it makes the the parents be frustrated and not know how to deal with them so they you know beat him or something like like that obviously the parents shouldn't be beating their children yeah but it, could, it well
0: that just uh well that just like makes me think of the parenting that the parents received so like how are these parents like dealing with conflict so like if right. if conflict is right there in front of them like are they super aggressive about it or are they empathetic towards it i mean if your kid is acting out as a caregiver, you should be like, okay, like what's going on here? Yeah. Versus yeah. versus like automatically be like, oh, like you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna slap you or something, or I'm going yeah. to yell at you. Like, I automatically start thinking of like, okay, how did that parent grow up? How were they treated by their parents? Because the thing is, trauma is generational.
1: I can see that. Um, and, uh, and yeah, parents definitely should not be immediately <laughs> or ever really beating their kids or yelling at them or resulting mm-hmm. to these like, mm-hmm. you know, frustrated, angry positions however a lot of what the uh you know research to try and debunk the nurture assumption does is it looks Mm -hmm. at twin studies so for instance you have two twins they both have antisocial personality disorder Mm -hmm. one their parents beat them the other their parents did not beat them but they both have antisocial personality disorder Mm -hmm. which kind of like you know you could so say that okay the, the, per, the parents who are beating their child they might have had parents who beat them mm-hmm. so the aggressiveness the trauma is being passed down the generations mm-hmm. but you can't really use that as an explanation for why the kid is this way because his twin who is being raised by different parents mm-hmm. like oh i sorry i meant to say twins who are separated at birth That's yeah we look at a lot
0: okay so the one that wasn't being beaten do you know how if he was being yelled at or if he was being reprimanded in kind of a way or
1: well and that's the thing too because a lot of these um adoption studies that these kids were separated at birth they go into families with other siblings and
0: oh well that's also okay so well so... that's also the thing with adoption though like at, at what age were they adopted Oh, you mean like how long
1: were they sitting around waiting for adoption in the orphanages? Right. I mean
0: like have you like read any of the studies on like what orphanages and uh, due to the The the, the, the trauma at the orphanages? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so – and I mean that's something that happens like within the first six months of being alive is like if you were a baby that was – crying in a crib and you weren't like comforted and consoled like you were left to cry for days at a time like you have a really hard time feeling like that warmth and compassion for people because you weren't felt it like you automatically felt like alone it-
1: i do think that would have to put a lot of um expectation or hope in the fact that all of these orphanages were treating the kids badly in order right. for so many people to turn out with the same symptoms. Mm-hmm. Even though well, one one set of parents is a good set of parents,
0: right? And I'm not I'm not denying that, like uh, you like know, every
1: orphanage would have to be yeah shit. every
0: orphan. But I'm just like curious to see with these studies, like yeah. how many of these had the same results. Yeah. Like what what were the numbers like?
1: Well, yeah that that is, that would be interesting to look into. But I think just the general point is that there is enough to at least say that it's not all children so you can't say yeah. that trauma is causing all, all these things trauma could be causing right. some of them right yeah but yeah. just just the fact that there there are these other situations that can't really be accounted for entirely based off of oh yeah trauma kind of throws some discredit into the right. assumption that parents are all that important and how their kids turn out
0: right and it's just and it kind of ties back to um you know we're not a perfect world and nor but i think we should try to focus on the things that like we can fix. Yeah. And so if just being a good parent or focusing on being a good parent is one of those resolutions then i think we should do that because obviously oh, yeah. if it is genetic and a kid is going to grow up a certain way and like become like a like just someone who's not empathetic, someone yeah. who goes around killing people. Somebody has violent tendencies. Yeah.
1: Yeah, we should encourage good parenting. And Mm -hmm. importantly, I think parents should be taught how to raise children who have problems rather than assuming that they cause the problems. Right. I mean, they could be wary that they cause the problems. They could think that maybe they will cause problems Mm -hmm. while also thinking that, like, these problems might just be inherent in the child Mm -hmm. because not everybody's perfect and people can turn out fucked up. Right. Like, people are born without limbs. Oh, yeah. So, like, why would people always be born with perfect brains
0: right and i think ultimately what it is is that parents should be trying their best to be good parents and yeah. if their child doesn't turn out quote unquote perfect
1: that that's not their fault yeah like you still tried your best if, you still tried if, your if best you and like, parents like in the applause universe, to you a pretty good yeah. One. yeah yeah so did you have anything else to say about the trauma that you wanted to talk about or should uh should we move on to a different topic
0: we can move on yeah let's do it
1: Okay, so at the beginning of this podcast, I mentioned the fact that we would be primarily talking about death acceptance. We have not talked about that once yet. (laughs) So, maybe we should talk about that.
0: Okay, well...
1: How do you feel about, like, the prospect of you dying?
0: I feel like it's part of being alive is also dying. And that, like, dying isn't necessarily the preconceived notion that we have that death is and that like death really isn't as scary as it's made out to be and that death is a very beautiful part of being
1: alive why beautiful
0: (laughs) well just because it's part of the cycle like it's natural it's not something to be afraid of
1: well i mean a lot of things are natural that aren't so beautiful though don't you think rape well
0: i don't really Murder. i don't necessarily think like it's natural though I think
1: like rape is unnatural, and that's why it's bad unnatural even like though even when other animals do it to each other, like they're behaving unnaturally well,
0: sure <laughs> yeah <laughs> honestly, I haven't thought about it much, but yeah i mean i i think well, I guess like killing is natural
1: yeah I mean killing like results in death, so is killing beautiful.
0: Mm, well, within humans it's
1: okay. So Maybe I took you too literally about <laughs> the the beautiful because it's natural thing. Well, I
0: I think so I think it's more so beautiful in the sense that it's just like part of life, it's part of the life cycle and I think the life cycle in within itself is beautiful.
1: Yeah. I guess killing or rape don't have to be part of the life cycle, but death kind of does.
0: Yeah. <laughs> When it comes to dying though, I I think if you are willing to accept it as part of the life cycle and not have this fear of it that suddenly life feels more comfortable to you. Like I think every single day there's this fear I mean any fear, it the root of your fear is death. Like You think so? Oh yeah, like why are people afraid of spiders? Because like they'll bite them and they'll die. Why are they afraid of heights? Because they'll fall and they'll die. Why are they afraid of deep water? Because they'll drown and they die. It's all like the root of all these fears is death.
1: It's it's death, but is it often like subconscious or unconsciously death? Cuz like if I Yeah, it's unconsciously okay. death. Yeah. Like yeah. If I'm afraid of a think, spider, I'm not immediately thinking that it's going to kill me. Oh,
0: yeah. oh, yeah, exactly. Like you're you're not thinking that it's leading to death. All you know is that it's going to make you uncomfortable up until the point of maybe you could die, but you're not necessarily thinking that. How about fear of the unknown? The unknown. Well, the unknown is like, oh, it could kill me, or or, or is it
1: like that? Death itself is unknown.
0: Yeah. Death. Death is the unknown. Yeah. that's like the some, ultimate unknown. Yeah. Right yeah
1: so i guess they'd be connected be- that way maybe but yeah
0: it's yeah. all connected to death I, it's just, because okay, it's this all the, connected to life which is connected
1: to death and so if you can accept it i think then it's okay <laughs> i'm I'm not completely steadfast on this thought but this, 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 this is you know generally my thought i think the fear of the unknown is the deeper fear because the fact that death oh, is unknown, unknown? Oh, okay so like the reason you're afraid of dying is because you don't know what will happen in likely nothing well it'll happen after the fact you know Mm -hmm. and it's like it's unknowable so it's like there are ways that you you might be fear of afraid of deep water or you know going to a different country or trying a new experience but at least you can prepare yourself and go scuba diving into the water and relieve yourself of that fear and then oh, fi- find find but, ex- but you can't prepare
0: yourself for death is what you're saying but, but you can't
1: know what death is like you can know what mm. you can learn what this thing you're afraid of is like like you can do mm. you can do um immersion training where if you're afraid of spiders you can slowly get closer and closer to a spider and have it go on your hand and like whatnot and then learn to accept it and know it but you can't really do that for death
0: well actually i um i think uh meditation prepares you for death <laughs>
1: like in what way
0: (laughs) well uh so through meditation and you're allowing yourself to be like a you let go of the ego and so now you're just consciousness and recognizing that this consciousness is interconnected to everything that exists and that everything that exists has always been there and will always be there you realize that Time is irrelevant, and that your body, your physical body means nothing, and that like there is nothing to be afraid of when it pertains to death, because it will be this consciousness really? that is always there, it could be
1: but it could not be also yeah that that egoless feeling mm-hmm. is in a way very comforting, and it feels like universal, and it feels like something that would exist forever. Mm-hmm. But there, too, I also feel like you can't know that it is or that it does. You can't know that your consciousness will continue on after death. Is is that what you're saying? It? Well. That, that consciousness will continue on?
0: That it will continue on. It It was already there and it will still be
1: like. Your consciousness or consciousness in general? Consciousness.
0: Well, it's the same thing. Like your consciousness and my consciousness are both the same. Like we're connected. Everything is connected. It's it's. And it's hard for some people to like really like let go of this idea of ego because we're so uh, heavily attached to it, like that the id, like this like identification of like oneself, like this body, but like we're like so much more than a body. Like if you are, I mean, you're you're not really spiritual, right? Um, or, I used it, to,
1: like, have disdain for the word spiritu- spirituality.
0: Yeah, me too. Like, the thing now is... Now I don't as much. Do you know what pantheism is? Oh, yeah.
1: Like, that everything is God or that existence is God?
0: Right. It's like this consciousness existence is God. And so, like, I am God, you are God, life itself is God. And so, the like, the Dutch phlo- philosopher Spinoza, he uh, he talks a lot about about this whole concept but a lot of people actually viewed him as an atheist but in reality he was like one of the original pantheists because it's such a definition of god in the sense where like there is no like tangible anthropomorphic kind of thing that it's like is is this even a fucking god like you're an atheist but but like no it's just like it's very similar to hinduism specifically, like, the Upanishads, like, in it's very pantheist, too. And so it's, like, a lot of the ancient uh, religions, like, think in this, like, ultimate, like, like, God isn't, like, one thing, it's, like, everything. It's, It's life. Like, the fact that this life, this stream of consciousness exists, that is the ultimate being. Like, that is it
1: what about things that aren't conscious are they included in what god is like rocks yeah
0: Yeah. well because uh well i mean i guess it depends
1: on because if you're saying like the consciousness is like the god
0: well if you because it also like things that have previously died or things like that like matter so like if you think of a rock like it's material that has like compressed over time and all of that material was once
1: alive i don't know if it necessarily was i think there's probably well, lots of well, like in, a sedimentary inorganic material well, that has well, always been inorganic because it came from you know stars and then but for, the stars for, no were but, the stars alive
0: oh uh i mean it's that energy oh, okay. uh, so it's something that contains energy oh, like yeah. on on a physics-based level all, all things that contain energy yeah, then, yeah yeah anything that contains energy okay Yeah, it's that energy. (laughs) It's everything. Well, with pantheism too, like there's so many correlations between like this planet and then the universe and then the universe back into the planet. And that's like why things look very similar to each other. Like everything is kind of replicating each other. Like if you look at a seashell and then if you look at the Milky Way, it looks exactly the same. And if you look at a walnut and look at a brain, it looks
1: exactly yeah, the same. Yeah, walnuts do look like brains.
0: Yeah, and so it's just like uh, it, a lot of the time, I'm, but also like humans are very pattern-seeking. That's true.
1: Uh, we look for patterns when sometimes they might not be there.
0: Right. So like maybe maybe it's that.
1: But also like I do think there are so many correlations between. It could also be like the unoriginality of evolution Or binding of things to the laws of physics where, like, certain formations are more likely and more stable, like, Mm -hmm. physically than others. Mm. Like a spiraling formation or the walnut formation. Perhaps (laughs) there's something about the form of that that is, you know, more likely to occur given Mm. infinite probability than other objects.
0: Yeah, that's true.
1: But. Like, you're not likely to have a planet in the shape of a long cylinder.
0: But also, they claim that every snowflake is not the same. So, <laughs> I don't know how they can make so, that <laughs> claim though, because they haven't. They haven't yeah, have they looked at every snowflake? <laughs> there's got to be at least so, one repetition. Yeah, there's, yeah, I don't, I'm not buying it. But <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: although, okay, so you said something. You said that we're all connected, which I agree with. I'm not sure if we got into it like I would agree with every single thing you mean by that.
0: Right. Yeah. And I I mean even with myself I don't know if I necessarily think everything is on the list of like what's connected and what's not. Um in this whole spiritual journey, which I I hate using the word spiritual journey. But uh, yeah. I hate the word journey. <laughs> I yeah, I hate both of those like because like I so I like grew up Jewish and then after that, I was like a hard atheist. I was like, fuck God, like, fuck that. And,
1: I had a similar experience.
0: And But then I was like, you know, actually, like, wait a second. Like, yeah, I softened <laughs> up a little bit too. Yeah, I softened up a little bit. And I think uh, I'm happiest with myself feeling what I feel now with, uh, with pantheism. Just right. like, uh, it's just like a love for life. Yeah. And love for being alive and doing things like mindfulness and meditation that I think is really good for my mind and well being. And I actually think, um, I think all atheists should get a little spiritual. I think like a hundred percent. I think it's missing from them. I think they're lacking it and they should seek it. And a lot of them will be angry and will be like, girl, will I? I don't like that. It makes no logical sense. And it's like.
1: I think it probably has to do with um, like the conception of what spirituality means.
0: Right. Like when I say spirituality, I'm not saying like new age. Like, oh, yeah, let's really crystals. uh, Crystals. Like, because that's bullshit. Oh, my God. That's I mean, like
1: Deepak uh, Chopra.
0: Oh, it's just so, it's annoying. And that's a whole, oh, man, the whole like well-being industry is yes. just, it's just huh. a thing of consumerism trying to make a large profit yeah. off of people who are sad and find comfort in a shiny rock. And so it's just like, it it's really sad that like because of that, that disgusting consumeristic thing, like, some atheists are afraid to get in touch with something beyond themselves yeah
1: i feel like you know coming from the perspective of somebody who previously thought this way as an atheist you hear the term spirituality and you kind of immediately assume it's like woohoo bullshit
0: yeah you think of like hippies like and they're like
1: Doing their little drum circle. And yeah, you you think of people who like still believe in a God, but don't want, don't fit into like Christianity. They want to be a little bit looser. Mm -hmm. And you're like, no, I don't believe in a God at all. You don't have to believe in a God to be spiritual.
0: Yeah, you don't, you know. And like when I say the word God, like the way I mean it is so different from what people think when they think of the word God that it's just like, you know, you, you don't need to give it a word but just like know that there is something like beyond yourself that has significance and that significance actually is within yourself too that it's connected to you and that's like why you're alive and everything's alive and like why it all matters and like why like we strive for this inherent like goodness it's because of that but yeah
1: if you are an atheist and uh, (laughs) you're you think spirituality is bullshit or if you think that You'd like to be more spiritual. You just don't want to inject any religion into your veins. There's a book you could read that I read like a year and a half ago called Waking Up. It's by Sam Harris. And it's literally like a guide to spirituality without religion, without God, while being an atheist. Good read.
0: Also, you should look into the philosopher Spinoza. He is amazing. And I think he's actually someone who is quote unquote spiritual while also like super appealing
1: to atheists yeah before though you said um we're all connected and like the consciousness goes on at least that's what i was gathering do you think that's is the way you're seeing it that after after you die because right now you mm-hmm. are conscious i'm conscious except that consciousness is connected mm-hmm. but at the same time separated like i can't yeah. visit your mind really mm-hmm. i can't know what you're thinking right now mm-hmm. so do you think that after death the whole that all- mass of consciousness will be connected and you will be like you know a cosmic consciousness like we will be one after death kind of thing or is that not what you're um,
0: into? it it's not so much that i'll like know what you're thinking but it's more so that i just get hmm it, it's hard to like make up the visualization of like what it would look like because yeah. it's not going to look like anything it's just like the loss of my body Physical body, but my consciousness still being here. But yeah. I'm not thinking the thoughts I once did. Okay. So you're not you're no longer thinking thoughts or anything, but like your is consciousness there still like a conscious
1: experience that you're having?
0: Like, am I a ghost walking around? No, well,
1: no. no, not not like in the physical plane, but like, would you still have a sense of like awareness of the universe? Do you think, or is um, it
0: like me as myself? Like any like history of myself and my ideas gone. are gone. Yeah, yeah, that's gone it's just so if you've ever like practiced like meditation to the point where it's like you know you're asked to like close your awareness yeah you close your eyes and like you you're asked to let go or like stop thinking of like any thoughts you've ever had and like anything you've ever learned is gone and like the thought of the future And past or gone the only thing that is there is the present that that's what's there just like that continuous flow of the present just that string of consciousness of the present (laughs) which um it's actually super peaceful and calm to get to that point like when you're doing meditation because like that honestly feels like the only time you're really
1: alive is during that that's like um getting into a state of flow Mm -hmm. while you're doing something yeah. Or like, could be anything, but.
0: Oh, yeah. And, like, for me, like, that's why, um, for some people, especially people who are first coming into it, it's super uncomfortable. Like, they almost fight it, or th- they find it hard to fall into that kind of mindset because it's just so, like, not what they're used to. They're used to always thinking in the past or thinking about the future or, like, uh, escapism or, like, just doing pleasurable things but this is something that's so like neutral and so like it almost feels not productive because you're doing absolutely nothing you're just like being present in the moment and so like it's hard to like allow yourself like logically like why am I doing this but like if you allow yourself to do that and to like freely allow it and just let go and feel it it like you feel so calm and peaceful and that calm and peace just, like, makes you feel, like, infinitely happy. And so, it's, like, through being super present in the moment, like, you feel, like, this abundant happiness because this feeling of just being, of of just being is, like, the ultimate being alive. And so, I feel when I die, it's going to be very similar to, like, a meditation of, like, when I am just being. It, I am, like, just being. And, not being in my body, but just being, and like you have, it it takes a lot of work to kind of like feel that through meditation. But like, whenever I am like consciously in the moment, like those are the best moments. And back to the whole, like people feel uncomfortable being in the present moment. I know that for a fact, because so many people don't like exercise and exercise is 100% just being in the moment. Like, and it's so uncomfortable. You
1: have to feel your present. You have to.
0: Yeah. You're you can't think about like you can't think about other things, but like for the most part, you're just like, oh, my God, like this. Like when you're running and it's you on the road, all you're doing is being right there. You're just being present. And people like most of running, especially like long distance running, it's a mind game. It's accepting that you're just right there and that's okay. That's all you need to be is right there it's to be present. And so that acceptance of like being present is like necessary for like the acceptance of death too. And like uh, because it, it's just the acceptance of like what is, is what you are is.
1: <laughs> yeah. Is there a certain type of meditation that you do? You know, there's different uh, genres and sects of meditation like there's um mindfulness meditation yeah
0: I mean I'll do I'll do mindfulness meditation I I really do play around with different types of meditation and I have been for like the past couple years Um, And it was actually like something I played around with when I was like a really small kid. Like I remember being like eight years old and I would like lay in my bed at night and like I didn't know what I was doing. I was just doing it like for fun, but I would like lay in my bed and I would be like. And it's bizarre to think it now, but like I would say, I remember I was like eight years old and I would be in my bed and I would be like, this is what it's going to feel like to die. And I would like close my eyes and then I would just like kind of like imagine myself like floating. And then I would like imagine myself like no longer floating, no longer having a body, but just like that there. And I couldn't, I had no idea why I did that. It was just, like, this weird thing I did, like, as a fucking child. But it, it's kind of, like, similar to that. And then there is the kind of, like, mindfulness where, like, you, like, you imagine the light entering your head and it's going through your body and you're feeling every part of your body. And then there's so many different types. I mean, you can even do, like, meditation, like, while you're exercising. You can do it before you go to bed. You can do it standing, laying. But I'm, yeah, I, I like to practice a bunch of different kinds of meditation because I think meditation can be implemented in so many ways. Yeah,
1: that's something I don't think I do enough. I have meditated before, but I don't do it as like a uh, habit, I guess.
0: I think, I think it's amazing for you. I think especially for like mental well-being and just like, your relationships with other people it's going to like fall into that because you can like appreciate the present moment and so by appreciating the present moment like you appreciate the time that you're
1: spending with other people that is something i use it for if i'm ever feeling anxiety about the future try to just meditate and Mm -hmm. focus on the now yeah and not worry
0: yeah because you can't i mean there's only so much you can control like really you can't control the future like you can to a certain point but but not really like you can't control other people's actions yeah you can't ultimately control what other people want to think of you like you can like change and alter yourself in like minor ways but not enough for them to like think super drastically like at the end of the day like you really only have control over like your present moment like right now Like, if you want to get up, you could do it. But, like, you can't, like, guarantee, like, you could do it in the future because maybe you'll break your legs and you won't be able to. So, it's more so, like, seizing the opportunity of the
1: present and, like, being grateful for it. So, then, that uh, existence in the present moment, you think that makes it so that you accept the fact that if you were to die at this very second, that Mm -hmm. would be
0: okay? Yes, Absolutely, And that's actually like a, a Native American thought too is like today is a good day to die yeah. and not in a pessimistic way at all, but just like I am doing the things I want to do or not, not even necessarily that, but just like I am okay with my life the way it is. Yeah. And so if I die, that is okay. Yeah. Not so that, if not you pull out you a gun right from. now, Wade, <laughs> that's, like, you know, I'm okay with that. Like I accept that.
1: I kind of want to test that. I wish I had it gone so I could see. Uh, well,
0: uh, Aaron has three, so we can pull it out, <laughs> <laughs> point them at me. I, I won't flinch. It'll be a test.
1: <laughs> yeah. That's like the opposite of the mantra in um, Game of Thrones slash A Song of Ways and Fire. There's this uh, character named Arya, which I'm sure most listeners probably have heard of because it's a big TV show. Anyway, though, her like mantra that she picked up in at the end of the like first book when everybody's dying is um like not today like Mm. there's a god of death and there's only one thing we say to this to the god of death and that is not today Mm. so this native american thing is like totally opposite opposite of that
0: yeah well it you know because native americans their their focus is so much like on nature and like just the acceptance of like what life is like it it is what it is kind of thing and like seeing the beauty in that seeing that it like the disgusting and morbid is part of the beauty
1: yeah and if you're gonna live or think in the present moment then there's no anxiety over like oh what all the things i could have accomplished if i wouldn't have died Mm -hmm. or like all the ways my life was unsatisfactory
0: but also like that uh, that whole notion too like I didn't do the things I want to do. Well, it's like no one told you you had to do those things. You're the person that decided you had to do those things. No one is going around telling you you need to make a $100,000 a year. No one is going around telling you like you need to dress a certain way. Like sure, there's like a social influence, but you don't have to accept that. You can deny it. You can be like, actually, I don't need that. And I decide what I want for myself and like for myself, as long as I'm mentally well and, you know, like I have a roof over my head and I have these certain things like I'm okay with what I have. Yeah. If you're humble about what you have and express gratitude for what you have, then dying isn't so
1: scary. Yeah. How about like self-made goals though? Like it can feel like you're failing yourself. If for instance, you have an idea of what you wanted to do, with your life and you didn't achieve it.
0: I mean, I think it's good to have goals and to push yourself in that direction. I think it's always good to strive to do more. Uh, it, you know, it it builds you as a person and expands your knowledge and I think that's for the good. Yeah. But if it becomes to the point where you feel anxiety and stress, like then it's no longer good.
1: Yeah, it's no longer serving you.
0: It's no longer serving you. Like you're spending all of this time feeling frustrated and upset with yourself when really you're the person that placed those expectations on yourself in the first place. So it's like you don't need you don't need to do that. Like let go. Let go of that that voice in your head saying like oh like if you don't get this done by this age like your failure if you don't do this like make make that voice shut up because like it doesn't know what it's talking about <laughs> it, it
1: doesn't yeah i think um i don't know how compared to all other people how accepting of death i am although i think i'm probably higher maybe in the top 50, per, 50 percentile than the bottom
0: well i don't know wade you are someone who, where like if you could upload your personality into like an ai you would do it so <laughs> i think those people are like the least accepting of death okay i mean fair like enough. i think the people that like reject that and be like i'm okay with dying and not yeah. having my personality uploaded like i think those people are more accepted <laughs> so i don't know <laughs> talk to me after that but yeah,
1: yeah i guess that's true i do i like would be in favor like cautiously i guess of humanity making itself immortal why is that though okay this is the way i see it i feel like from for my perspective of death acceptance Mm -hmm. it's less from the fact of that um meditative states of the now in like the pure blissfulness or or neutrality or whichever way you want to put it that that it is of just being at peace after death the way i feel is just like you know utter nothingness like Mm-hmm. your your mind and your body are the, like you know your mind is just mm-hmm. a product of biological processes and once your biological processes stop you decay you fall apart you no longer exist as a person or a self or a mind so there's just absolute nothingness it feels the same way as but before it, you were born that's my right. perspective
0: well no and i mean i kind of feel that yeah. it, it's kind of like Taoism though where it's like the nothingness is everything okay
1: okay yeah the nothingness can be everything so then so then i would think that like there is no reason to really fear death because when you are dead you can't have fear it's an impossibility to to fear because you don't have any you're not you you're not there yeah you're not you're just dead yeah yeah um however if you like in the same way that so i would like humanity to immortalize itself in the same way that i would like to exist until tomorrow like You could be fine with dying right now, but you would Mm -hmm. prefer to not, you know? Right. Yeah. So in the same way, I would prefer to just keep living forever and see all the experiences that happen in the universe, you know? Like, if I want to live until I'm 80, why? I want to live, like, more than just this present moment. I want to see the future. I want to have tomorrows. Mm -hmm. So you know wouldn't having infinite tomorrows be preferable or as many tomorrows as you want having complete control over when you die
0: but for me it's kind of that's when i fall more into the state of uh i want my body to do the things that are natural okay so like um and i i think this way like later on if i were to be like 60 and get cancer yeah i don't think i would get treatment yeah I I think I would just allow myself to die because I think...
1: What if you were uh, right now got got cancer? cancer? Yeah, same thing.
0: Yeah, probably. And and I don't mean that like in a sad, tragic way, but just in like, okay, something happened and my body is trying to... I mean, I wouldn't like naturally... I mean, I wouldn't try to like forcefully like make myself die in some kind of way. But like if my body is naturally trying to die, I'm going to allow it to happen Okay, but, but also, okay, if I were to get hit by a car, yeah. then I would get like treatment because the car... the car hitting me is unnatural.
1: Here's another perspective though on the cancer thing. Cause... And also, like, okay,
0: oh man, you could think... I, I used to be a cigarette smoker. And so, like, if I get lung cancer, I'm just like, fuck. Like, mm, I'm not really naturally dying because, like, <laughs> yeah, I, I did that to myself. Cause,
1: yeah. yeah, it was a non natural cause. So. I, th- I think there's a way you could look at cancer as being unnatural because cancer is a mis- is like your body fail like not working properly, right? You know. So even if you did, well, I get- think it,
0: I think it would depend on the cancer because, like, if it's like a liver cancer, it would mean I had a drinking problem. Sure, that- <laughs> but even if it was like a
1: cancer that you had, you didn't cause by any drinking or smoking or whatever. Okay. It like was you, like
0: skin cancer and like well, you from the ca- sun.
1: You could even cause that from being out in the sun too much. If it was but, like brain but, cancer for right? Instance, mm-hmm. or like prostate cancer for males, something like that, you could just view that as unnatural because naturally or hopefully naturally, your body is capable of reproducing its cells, replicating itself without these catastrophic failures that snowball into giant tumors. Uh-huh. So the fact that you have this but cancer then- is like...
0: Well, it would be kind of natural because like genetically, usually if you have cancer, it's because of some kind of family history of cancer.
1: All right. So if you got leprosy, would you not uh, seek treatment (laughs) or malaria? Uh, uh,
0: uh, hmm. (laughs) That's a good question. (laughs) Okay. No, I I would seek treatment. Okay. I I would. But it's more so like towards if I'm older like oh uh, one thing for sure i don't want to be like an old person in a nursing home on like eight different medications yeah, for yeah. everything i'm like no dude
1: like yeah i i can agree with that there's a certain extent yeah where the artificiality becomes yeah. pointless or n- not uh, like I, I i draw a line to a a certain yeah point and then with the making yourself immortal that that's probably that crosses the line for yeah you. that crosses the line for me yeah.
0: because i wouldn't be you know because I wouldn't want to be the eighty-year-old in a nursing home on ten different medications.
1: Would you? No. Um, okay. So, but you, but you would get to live longer. Yeah, I mean, okay. So, I guess there are more. It's not only the immortality; it depends on the quality of the quality life. Quality of having. life. Okay. Oh, but here's the. Like, but okay, so with that, then, like,
0: there is no certainty that that quality of life is going to be good. Yeah, and then that's that's the
1: thing. Can
0: can you turn off the AI, AI then, or like the, yeah, are you like I Are you forced into
1: immortality? <laughs> no, I would not be a fan of that immortality okay. that you can't turn it off. That would be awful because it would become okay. hell. Okay. So you so, you would need an eject button. Okay.
0: Like, so you would as soon as you would do the AI under the assumption that there's an eject.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So then basically it would turn from humanity's leading cause of death from like cancers and stuff like that to just be suicide because people just live as long as they feel like it. Mm-hmm. And then when you're like to 340, you're like, you know, my life has been pretty bad for the past 30 years and it's not getting any better. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to stop. And you already got an extra 140 years or, or 240 years or whatever compared right. to what you would have been getting without the immortality Yeah. or, you know, quote unquote, immortality. But okay, look at it this way. I could foresee some, you know, Natural way of finding immortality, maybe not through putting our brains into some simulation, mm-hmm. but just through our well con- I think... continued advancement of understanding how human bodies can live longest, like through oh, yeah. improving health and improving, like.
0: Well, the thing is, for me, like I think dying is immortality.
1: Oh, that's interesting. <laughs>
0: well just yeah because you know i'm returning to what i was before
1: okay and then and then just like how you would want to do things that are more natural than not natural that's Mm -hmm. why you wouldn't just kill yourself right now yeah okay because i mean otherwise if death is immortality and you're just fulfilling the natural process why not just die right but yeah because that would be unnatural to do right
0: yeah it would be on yes and also um Yeah, it's mostly that. And also just like there's so much beauty in the life that I'm currently living and I don't think I'm inherently like seeking harm on others. So I think like my life being here is is a good and so that it should remain here. While um, I don't necessarily know if like AI life that is like super old, if it is a good and like if it should necessarily be there. Like speaking of... right good and evil like
1: not that it would be evil but would it be good yeah but i mean i think it's true not just making stuff up that humans have are living longer Mm -hmm. like as history progresses as time goes like the life expectancy increases and Mm -hmm. people learn what's bad for them and learn what's killing them Mm -hmm. and avoid it so like we're kind of increasing the lifespan (laughs)
0: I I but the thing is it's like I feel like we're increasing our lifespan but it isn't necessarily better like the last like 10 or 20 years pe- people have on their lives I don't think they're necessarily right. like, good years so increasing I'm the like lifespan I why would I want to be alive thing. 20 years longer but I'm just like my bones are all broken and my skin is falling off. Like I'm a, I'm a zombie and I'm only alive because I'm taking medication. Like I'm not really a human. Like a lot of these people have Alzheimer's and they like can't even talk to people and they have to be fed. Like when I was a teenager, I worked as a cna in a nursing home and it was the most depressing place to be in like i remember this one lady buzzing me into her room and i go on there and i'm like what do you want and she's like i (laughs) want (laughs) to die like fuck (laughs) like it was like a slap to the face of like i I actually don't think being alive is always necessarily for the greater good oh yeah
1: i agree with that Me and Matt actually um, talked about that a little bit in the last episode. Oh, Um, yeah. You know, he thinks existence is necessarily good. Although he's also against the unnatural stuff. Yeah. Although, okay, so, yeah, it's true that in a lot of cases or even most cases, we are stretching out the lifespan but not necessarily the health span. People are spending their last 20 years just, like, being sucked dry by the pharmaceutical industry Mm -hmm. or, you know, the hospice care industry. Mm Mm-hmm. And but there are also those people, those like old guys who are like eighty-five, with their marathon runners, and they're eating like five hundred nuts a day, so they look like they're fifty-five. But okay, think of that though. Those guys that are marathon
0: runners, it's because they're they're super in the present. It's like being in the present that's keeping them alive. I mean, it could be people could also
1: be like you know an extreme fear of death that's making them try and be as healthy as possible.
0: Oh yeah, but also runners are relatively happier people i think everyone should get into running
1: (laughs) i guess the physical activity you know increases your mental health your brain isn't just a sack of potatoes it needs exercise too Mm -hmm. your body needs exercise to improve your mental capacity Mm -hmm. and your mood
0: and your blood flow yes your your body is just more efficient and works better and stronger yeah Uh, one thing I've been telling everyone recently is that they should get into exercise (laughs) Yeah, I've been trying to get into it more. uh, And I think it's like honestly amazing. And like uh, I've recently gotten super into rock climbing and I think it's like this cool balance of uh, mindfulness, but also activity. It's kind of similar to yoga in the way where like you're very mindful of all of your body, but then it's active in the way like weightlifting where you're like pulling up your body. So, it's been so good for me mentally because I feel like I've been able to really um, experience that gratitude and just like it, it's it's like meditation while also exercising.
1: Oh yeah, you've been telling me that you have been rewiring your brain. Yes,
0: I'm rewiring my brain. <laughs> what do you
1: you want to elaborate on that?
0: Okay, so you you too can rewire your brain if you're listening. <laughs> um i'd say uh to rewire your brain you need these things you need exercise you need some kind of output through the arts so that could be like poetry or painting or dancing or writing just something creative so a creative outlet you need community. So you need like a group of friends, a partner, family, something like that where you feel like you belong. And then you need a purpose. So like you're working on something that you feel does good in the world and to those around you. And I think with those things, you can rewire your brain. (laughs) And by rewiring your brain, I simply just mean, like, turn yourself into um, an optimal human.
1: Right. So say you have all those things already, Mm -hmm. then, like, how would you go about rewiring your brain? Just changing your perspective? Uh,
0: I would say maybe focus more on gratitude. Okay. Because I in like literally writing, writing it down, physically writing it down. I think more people should get into the habit of writing and just like writing like how you're feeling and writing like your hopes and writing bad things, like yeah. things that upset you. And then like things you're looking forward to, just like that sense of like everything that's going on in your mind. If you can put it onto paper, I think it's very therapeutic. And also therapy. If people can see a therapist, I think every kind of person should see a therapist. But, like, if you don't have the money to see a therapist, I think writing can help.
1: Yeah, I don't have health insurance for very much money. Yeah. I'd like to see a therapist. I think, yeah, I agree with you that really everybody should do it. mm -hmm. One of the reasons I would, I want, uh, like, um, universal health care. Yeah. So that that's more accessible to all people. Yeah. Yeah, writing's also good, too. I'm not doing it very much lately, but... I have done it a lot in the past.
0: And did you feel a benefit from it? Yeah.
1: I used to um, like write a certain topic as like a headline and then how I felt about that. And then I would go back a year later and write on the same topic to see how my thoughts Mm -hmm. on it had changed. Oh, yeah. Just so I um, would notice changes in my personality rather than like forgetting that they ever happened.
0: It's super humbling too, like being able to like go back and read like. The way you once thought. Yeah. It's pretty funny because some, some of the things I've written, I was so critical.
1: Of, of yourself or of the of, world? Of
0: just, yeah, just like everything. I was very critical. And like then a couple of years later, like reflecting back and reading it, I'm like, holy shit. Like I can't believe I thought that way. Yeah. It, it's super humbling.
1: You have a lot there. Uh, <laughs> is there anything in there that you wanted to talk about?
0: Uh, I mean... It was just Brooklyn no, has, was,
1: a, has a pile of papers at her disposal <laughs> well, that she's been looking through, but ha- hasn't used a whole lot of. So I'm just wondering if. No, it was there.
0: just like I wanted to make sure I didn't like forget parts, but like a lot of it was no. This was just my to do list, but
1: I don't want all your effort to go to waste.
0: Oh no, no! I, it was more so just if i were to like freeze up because sometimes oh. like when you're talking about yourself like you become like a deer in headlights yeah and you're like oh fuck. like what what was i gonna say so i had this here more so as like a a mental log of like okay if you forgot what to say you were gonna say this <laughs> so <laughs> okay
1: oh yeah one thing i wanted to ask you about is um how do you feel about death acceptance not of yourself but of others oh it's essential you've got children, you've got parents, Mm -hmm. they could die. They probably will die. I mean, (laughs) I mean, in your experience of them, they'll probably die.
0: I mean, like my ex-boyfriend died in in the same room as me, you know, like I, I had to come to terms with that. And like, at the time it was super hard. It took me like a long time to actually accept it. And, but now I've come to a place where like, I do accept it. And like, that's okay. It's a little different because it was unnatural because it was from a drug and, it wasn't, like, a natural death, and that's, like – that's where it becomes, like, hard because – oh, man. But then at the same time, it's just, like, the acceptance that um they are just returning to the beginning again, like, that, that conscious beginning. By returning to the beginning, are you – they're not starting their life. They're not. You're there's not, no reincarnation. reincarnation. Okay. No, no, I do not believe in reincarnation. I just believe that like their their flow of consciousness was there like all along. It's always going to be there all along because they're connected to everything. Like I am you. You are me. I'm him. And he was like him of the
1: past is me right now. Like we're all connected. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a helpful way to think about it that I, I like is that in my in my opinion, at least um you can't ever really know a person. You can never only make a mental model of them in your head. Right. Like I have this idea of Brooklyn in my mind. Right. And it might not be perfect (laughs) and it might not be like all encompassing of who you actually are, Mm -hmm. but that's all I've got in my head. And even if I'm looking at you, talking to you right now, Mm -hmm. it's still, I'm using that model in my head. So if you were to die right now, that model would still exist.
0: Yeah, it still exists. So in, in
1: a way, it's kind of like you are still going to be with me forever. Right and everyone else i've ever talked to or know and and, like the better you know them the better your mental model is and the more strongly they will be with you
0: right and i mean yeah these people live on in the memories of all all the people they've ever met so like in that way they live forever because they're
1: which is why like you can not have spoken to a person for 10 years and you have a dream about them that they were in, and it feels so vivid and lifelike mm-hmm. because you knew them really well and it's like they visited you in your dreams. Yeah. But it was just your mental model resurfacing itself of them.
0: Yeah. You were in someone's dream. I won't name whose.
1: Who? <laughs> I, I, <laughs> you can't say that and an, not tell me.
0: You were in Erica's dream. What
1: was the content of the dream?
0: I don't know. You guys are like, you guys are somewhere she was like, Brooklyn, Wade was in my dream. <laughs> uh. Uh, yeah. yeah. I was like,
1: yeah, that's pretty funny. Do you think that having experienced a death is like necessary to learn this acceptance of the fact that all these other people, you know, are going to die? Like, do you think you can, you can have this acceptance before anyone, you know, dies?
0: It's really hard to say because I mean, I can't speak for like this other version of me who yeah. hasn't experience reality, it, right you. so like yeah. I it's a knowledge i don't have so I can like indefinitely speak for that yeah. version of myself but um I don't know maybe to an extent yeah. but i mean, I, th- it, it, I think for me it sped things along faster yeah. It, so yeah so like to an extent yeah like I at 17 suddenly I had to like accept something super heavy yeah and it was like someone that I was in love with and they were like the person that I was going to for support and suddenly they were gone and like my entire like concept of what life is and what it's supposed to be and like it was like flipped on its head so it's really hard to say because it did change me fundamentally as a person I feel I mean who's to say if it really did but I have no idea
1: how my life would have been if none of that would have happened and then the same way how important do you think it is in learning to accept your own death how important is it to experience like other people's death like Mm. is that like a prime motivator in you you know coming to accept your own death the fact that you have experienced death before
0: i think it eases the 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 uncertainty or something yeah it it helps ease it. I don't think it's an essential need, but I I think I'm lucky in the sense that I experience that almost because now I feel more of a calmness because of it, which is kind of morbid, but not even morbid. I think it's beautiful. <laughs> Death is beautiful. I don't. I'm not still on board. <laughs> I'm not on board with
1: that one yet. But
0: well, because like I think. You know, going back to uh, maybe this is going going to be very controversial to say, but like That's killing right. killing and the rape and the death, I think it is all beautiful, oh you do, yeah, okay, you know not because like it the act is beautiful, right. but just because it is part of the cycle of life and living and existence, and I think um, I think about a person, you for example, like. I'm sure there are these like evil little hidden parts of you, and I don't necessarily think those things are beautiful. Yeah. But I think you as a whole is beautiful. Oh, okay. So like, you accept it as a whole, and so it's more like the acceptance. Yeah.
1: Thing. Do you think there's a trouble with death acceptance that it'll make you too complacent, or is there a point where you can be too accepting of death?
0: Yeah. Yes, I kind of see it with hippies a lot <laughs> where like uh they are so free flowing and they're like, yeah, like no worries, man. And so they never kind of like strive to do more with themselves and yeah. they're kind of okay with like making minimum wage, never like doing more. Because I think by doing that, they're kind of only thinking about themselves. Mm. And they're not really like thinking about the things around them. So yeah, like I never think it's good to be too much of one thing. So I don't think it's good to be too like accepting of it. Like I think it's good to accept it, but not to the point where like you give up having dreams of,
1: doing more with your life like i think like not having plans for the future yeah
0: you should have plans for the future like it's healthy for you to have plans for the future because you're learning more and you're doing more and you're meeting more people and like you're more involved in a community doing
1: things it's just that you shouldn't be so like attached to those plans for the future that you
0: to the point where it makes you feel fearful yeah or like hurts you yeah anxious like it's a it's a balancing act of, yeah. uh, you can go too, too
1: little or too far, really, with any anything,
0: right? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know,
1: though. I still, I still think. <laughs> no, no, not about that. <laughs> what, what, what don't you know? I don't know. I guess, I suppose I can't tell. I'd have to take a poll of, of <laughs> my level of death acceptance compared to the average person. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Just put, put up a poll.
1: <laughs> yeah. If you're listening to this, why don't you, uh, let me know in some way how much you fear death? Or how much you you would on one uh,
0: on a scale of what one to ten? Yeah, sure. Okay. Where are you
1: at? Do you think? And okay. Do you think that's a good way to put it? How much you fear death, or should I phrase that a different way? Like how much? Sure.
0: How much you fear death? Okay. Where do or, you think you're at? Or how much you accept death? Or, or like which how, how ready
1: are you for death? Or like, how ready are you for death? Or how okay are okay, you? Okay. With... What
0: about what about the statement of? uh okay this one thing. Okay, so the statement today is a good day to
1: die right how much do you agree with that
0: yeah i would probably say like eight or eight yeah eight
1: or (laughs) (laughs) 7.8 7.8 yeah let me think about that
0: like today is a good day to die yeah, 7.8 sounds good because there there are things I want to do, yeah. obviously, and like it would be really sad if I didn't do some of those things. But also, like, I think I've done a lot of really great things, so
1: 7.8. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think maybe for me, I'd be like a- Higher? No, no. Okay. Like a six, maybe a seven. Because yeah. I do think there's a lot of times where I'm like driving in the car, just thinking, and I'm like, yeah, I'd be totally fine if I just got hit by a car right now and died. Mm-hmm. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Other times, though, like I, th- I think about death, and sometimes it's unsettling. So it's not a constant number. I yeah. Would, I would fluctuate. Oh yeah, that. I
0: would. Yeah, I would say the number fluctuates too. But today it feels like a seven point eight.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so there's something that I wanted to ask everybody that I podcast with, and that is, what is your favorite book? Hmm. Doesn't really have to be about the topics we've been discussing.
0: Okay, so um I wouldn't necessarily say it's my favorite, but I think it was what essentially got me more so interested in reading when I was a teenager and then more so interested in just like philosophy in general and just like thinking of my life like outside of just myself, but it's a it's a book called Notes of the Underground and is Have you like, heard of it?
1: No. It, what is it? What's the genre? Fiction, nonfiction? Uh,
0: it, it, it's fiction, it's like but what? it it was uh, <laughs> it, it's a Russian novel, and it's a it's an existentialist book uh, on existentialism, and it's like this man living in the ground and he's like very critically talking about people as if they're disgusting and and then like he becomes a man like walking around and it it kind of just like follows like this existential like view of like people and life in general and um it, it appealed to this like very angsty like teenager part of myself but it also kind of like created an empathy for people too that like we don't need to be as critical of others that we need to be. And it honestly is like what catapulted me into wanting to like read more after that. So I think it's fun. It's not very big. If you want it, I have it on my bookshelf. If you want to read it, it's pretty, Do you know, the author, Um, Uh, hold on one second. Okay.
1: All right. So let's see. I've got the book in my hands. Notes from the underground by Fyodor D- Oh Dostoevsky. Dostoevsky. Yeah. Yes, Dostoevsky. Yeah, yeah, I uh, have been meaning to read some of his stuff. It's always recommended to me as you know like the the great books, the classics. have mm-hmm. Haven't done it yet though. I yeah. should. Though.
0: It, it's a it's a short book, but it is pretty dense, but it it's kind of funny the way he he speaks. It's Can
2: it, I it, take
0: it. Oh yeah, for sure take it. It's I'll cynical it and, and it's like kind of fun and <laughs> But yeah. Wait, what's yours have you told everyone your book
1: okay so i guess for the purpose of this conversation or at least what we were talking about at one point was the nurture assumption it's very mm-hmm. good it's very um sometimes counterintuitive but it's critical of a lot of research that's been done over the past 100 of year 100 years in psychology and it opened my up my eyes to some interesting different ways to to view the world i guess and view like sociology and psychology yeah it's also written very easily to read mm, it's not mm-hmm. from like some pretentious phd who's yeah which writing is it like, for other phds
0: oh yeah which is like a lot of like a uh, psychoanalysis and si- psychology in general i i feel like a lot of it can be kind of pretentious in the way it's written
1: yeah it's it's directed towards just a regular person audience rather than oh, okay. on, only an academic audience
0: oh, okay well, last week when I asked you, I was like, I was going to check it out. And then you, you you texted why and I never responded. But it, it's because, yeah, I'm interested in reading it. So I I, I want to check it out. Yeah.
1: Another book I would recommend is called The Better Angels of Our Nature by Steven Pinker. Hmm. And it's essentially about how humanity has gotten better over time, despite it seeming sometimes like we haven't. Hmm. And like how rates of violence are declining. Oh, yeah. Throughout history. and
0: Oh, that's a big thing. Like, uh... Right now, I feel like it's super popularized on social media that, like, the United States is, like, is the worst it's ever been, which is, like, in no way true. Like, if you look at any history, like, we're actually doing significantly better. Yeah. (laughs) And people, like, often forget that, which is why, like, knowing history is so important inessential because like it's easy to feel like what you're experiencing right now is the worst thing that you're that has ever been experienced which is just it's not true it's false
1: yeah i think it's super important to like be critical of whatever's happening that you you know don't like and pointing out that we're falling short of our ideals right but uh, to say accountability it's super
0: yeah. like accountability is important like could we be doing better absolutely yeah but like are we performing the worst we've
1: ever performed no yeah like no. yeah and and to kind of to suggest that it's just kind of ignoring facts and the truth right. so yeah you can be dissatisfied and i am of how, the state of the world but right doesn't yeah. mean it's yeah worse i'm not happy than, with it but yeah would you prefer to live in you know 1860 probably not
0: yeah probably not
1: yeah so that's a good book how about any uh recent and even recent just movies or tv shows
0: Mm, well my mind's coming to a blank. i mean i want to watch the new charlie kaufman movie that just came out that i know you recommended but which one was it called the the one on netflix what's it called the one that just came out the movie is you were like you i think you'd like it you should watch it i i think i'm thinking of ending things i'm thinking of anything i I want to watch that that was a good one yeah because i i like tarley kaufman's other films but i don't know if i've seen them which is why oh, I, yes you have come on what um oh yeah yeah yeah.
1: eternal sunshine of the spotless mind yeah yes I love and that movie. uh and being john malkovich mm-hmm. i haven't seen that one that's on netflix though but i haven't watched it yet you haven't watched it <laughs> <Should> what <I? laughs> yes
0: oh my god okay then yeah i recommend that yeah you should watch that like tonight okay i i think yeah <laughs> yeah watch that and I'll, I'll watch the the charlie movie or kaufman movie yeah
1: so i once was on reddit and i saw a thread that was about how this person had met somebody else for like a day and it was one of those like times where you meet somebody and mm-hmm. you spend this the whole day together and it's like this really amazing relationship but it only lasts a day yeah and then you go your separate ways and you never see each other again oh yeah when they were parting the other the other person was like I'm going to give you something that I've done in my life or that I think everybody should do in their life that you now should do. And that's my gift to you It's like mm. an experience that you can go have. Oh, okay. So then this person did it. And then from the rest of their life onward, they're like, every time I meet someone, I'm going to tell them to do something and ask them to tell me to do something. What so was we, that we can... experience? I don't remember what it was. Oh, sorry, sadly, but it was just the concept of like, mm. whenever you meet a person, give them an idea of something to do and then ask for one in return so that you can like enrich your life through experience of other other people's recommendations of how they think you could like make your life more fulfilling and mm-hmm. you know make yourself into a better person with a better life so what do you think is one thing that the listener should do in their life
0: find yourself like a group of 3 or 4 people and this is your little community and in this community Like share everything and like make it ugly, make it super ugly, like ugly cry in front of them, have them see you like be disgusting, completely disgusting, allow them to take care of you and like you take care of them and just like genuinely like allow this like little group to fully take care of each other and love each other because I think through this like you find out so much about yourself and your capacity to love.
1: It's good, <laughs> what about you? Yeah, I don't have that, but <laughs> <laughs> I would say the thing you should do is travel to a different country alone. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. putting yourself in an unfamiliar environments where you can only depend on yourself and being able to experience things in solitude should it be a different
0: language? It doesn't have to be
1: could be that would make it harder, yeah, which might make it better,
0: yeah, yeah uh, you need to f- fall into the pits of like. Desperation, yes, fear, and sadness, and
1: yeah, you need to thrust yourself into an environment that is scary but also beautiful. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, I definitely think you should probably also travel with people because there's yeah totally different experience. It's good to share these things, but at least once travel somewhere for an extended period of time, not just a weekend, but like at least two weeks by yourself.
0: And okay, I I just think that's funny because both of these things um they have the tie of vulnerability yeah and i think vulnerability is truly uh just the the feeling of being fully present so wake up
1: <laughs> yeah surrender yourself to the <laughs> moment well thank you very much for listening thank you for joining me brooklyn
0: thank you for having me
1: i like talking to you really <laughs> always do yeah but it's good to sit down and have long conversations with people
2: Mm-hmm.